Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. Just before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to my Patreon subscribers. I've been in the recording studio over the last fortnight, a day here, a few hours there, and it's beginning to take shape as the album I've always wanted to make. Thanks to the generosity of my subscribers, I've been able to recruit some of the best musicians in Sydney. I've played for you before the song Flame Has Spanish Witch. Here's a taste of what we did last week. Brown eyes and copper nails make me sing. Oh, 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 tell me it ain't so. Got a sting, I just got to itch. Oh, 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 tell me it ain't so. I'm under the spell of a flame head Spanish witch. She moved around me. And a song I finished, I partly wrote in Lourdes at the start of my second Camino, I Saw You Mary. And a song I'm really proud of, Prodigal Son. I watched him dance like a moth By a lamp draped in cheesecloth The old man gave him all this best land He just threw it all aside So it's all going really well. I hope to have it all finished and available by June, July. So thanks again to my Patreon subscribers. And if you'd like to help, not only finishing the album, but to contribute to the continuation of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins or danmullinsmusic.com. I've decided not to go down the track of advertising, so my podcast will always be free. All I'm asking is for a couple of dollars a week, maybe the value of a cup of coffee every two weeks. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins or danmullinsmusic.com. Let's get to the podcast. Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a weekly podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James, a series of pilgrimages across Europe, culminating at the majestic Catholic Cathedral in northwest Spain, Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. We're told the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred in the crypt beneath the cathedral. 
Pilgrims who have walked the Camino arrive in Santiago full of wonderment at what they have achieved. You, like me, would have been devastated this week to see Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris ablaze. It was horrifying to see it burn. Because the Camino is home to cathedral masterpieces in Burgos, Logroño and Leon, just to name a few. So watching Notre Dame was heartbreaking. Pilgrims the world over share a common bond. You may have only walked 100 kilometres. You may still be planning to walk your first Camino, or you may be one of the lucky ones who has walked many Caminos. If you are thinking of walking and wondering if you can do it, think about this. Nelson Mandela, the great South African statesman, said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. The world is ours for the taking. Our faith in ourselves will fuel the journey. My guest this week is a British pilgrim, Sophia Smith-Gaylor. Sophia's on the line from the UK. Welcome, pilgrim. Hello. Well, I was particularly interested in speaking with you because you walked the Camino Anglaise, uh, a relatively short Camino from Ocarina to Santiago de Compostela. Why did you choose the Camino Anglaise? For a couple of reasons, really, and I guess a few of those reasons are going to be quite niche because they're because of my personal interests. Um, so when I went to university, I studied Spanish and Arabic. And I used to live in Spain, so I used to live in Granada, and I used to live in Madrid. Obviously, interests like Spanish and Arabic instantly take you to Andalusia in Spain. So for me, uh, that region is very well-trodden ground. I've been to Barcelona, I've been to Madrid, like I said, Toledo, uh, the Basque country. But one part of Spain that's always been very much uncharted territory for me was Galicia. When I found out about the Camino, I uh, I loved the idea that it would finish there. Obviously, I didn't quite know what Camino I'd be doing yet, but I knew that I was very interested in it. And I had a couple of days of leave left. And when I pushed them all together, I didn't have loads. I had about, uh, I had, I kind of had two weeks of holiday to spare. And as I was looking, I found out about the Camino Inglés and it was fascinating because it, it's the route that English pilgrims would have taken back when England was a Catholic country and pilgrims would have gone on a boat in England and they would have sailed it all the way to um, Ferrol. So I actually began my coming. There are two places you can start the Camino Inglés, A Coruña and Ferrol. If you begin it in A Coruña, you don't actually get a Compostela no. because you won't, you won't have walked the full 100 uh, kilometers required to get a Compostela. So um, some people do two things. They either walk the first 25 kilometers in the UK and then they go to A Coruña or they do what I did, which is a flight to A Coruña and then I got a bus up to Ferrol and then I began my pilgrimage there. So um, all in all, I ended up doing, my, my guidebook said it would be 119 kilometers, but my iPhone told me that by the time I wound up in Santiago de Compostela, I'd done 147 kilometres. So I, I did a lot in my six-day Camino that began in Ferrol. And, yeah, I was fascinated by the fact that the, it, it, it's kind of a forgotten route. Yeah. Because when Henry VIII separated 
England from the Catholic Church. He not only separated them from the church, he separated them from a culture. And uh, this, the culture of, of pilgrimage is fascinating. Back before Henry VIII, Galicia was the largest exporter of wine to England. And it's purely because of all the trade that would happen on the pilgrimage. And there are all these fascinating links between Galicia and uh, the UK, which I discovered on my walk. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's the reason I picked the Camino Inglés. It's a short one, has this fascinating history, but not without its challenges. It's known to be um, have difficult inclines, and I've found out the hard way because I'm still recovering. I've, <laughs> I've done something to my knees. I'm not quite sure what. I made the mistake of going sightseeing after the Camino, straight away after the Camino. And then I went on another sightseeing holiday straight afterwards as well. And now, uh, even though I'm 24, I, I, I've realized I have, to, um, I have to treat my body a bit more sensitively. <laughs> Let's take a step back because I want to v- talk about some of those things you just mentioned. But before we do, uh, can I ask how or do you remember where and when you first heard about the Camino de Santiago? We had an excellent series here in the UK about, I think it was called Pilgrimage by the BBC, and it was all about, I can't remember how many, say six or seven celebrities, I can't remember, and they they, um, they all did the Camino. I think they all did the French one, possibly. They certainly walked a very, very, very long way. Um, and uh, the programme was all about the experiences that they had, the producers had deliberately picked a mix of people of faith and people not of a faith. And the program was as much about the interesting conversations they were having as well as the Camino that they were doing. So it was watching that that I thought, oh, how have I not heard of this awesome pilgrimage in a country that I am in love with? And so I guess that would have planted the seed. And what, So what was the catalyst for you deciding, okay, I'm going to go and do it? I, I do like a walking holiday. It's not my first experience walking. I've previously hiked um, the Alpujarras, which is the um, collection of very pretty mountain villages in the Sierra Nevada next to Granada. And I, yeah, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I think I think it's when I realised I had more leave than I thought I would. And I thought, <laughs> oh, because I, I always knew I wouldn't be able to do the Camino if I only had a week. Of holiday, so it's the fact that I suddenly realised I had all this holiday to play with. That I thought, hmm, I can actually do the Camino. And then what I did is, at the end of the Camino, my dad flew over and he met me in Santiago de Compostela. So I had someone, having been t- totally by myself for the whole Camino, um, I then met him in Santiago, and then we spent a week together exploring Galicia. So we went to. Uh, Vigo, and we went to Acoruña as well. Mm. So for me, it was a, a kind of it was a Camino Inglés plus. Yeah, how wonderful! So, what month did you walk, Sophia? And what was the weather like? I walked at the end of March. I think the first day of my pilgrimage was something like the twenty-first of March. And I have to say that I was watching the Spanish news while I was away, and. Um, during the weather reports, they went to 
Santiago de Compostela to remark on how unusually hot it was there for this time of year. So I was so lucky. I packed waterproof stuff. I never once needed it. It was beautiful weather every day. That meant that um, I started walking at about seven and by 11, it's hot because you're walking. So even though it was only about 16, 17 degrees, say, that's very warm if you're exerting yourself. So you find you're taking off all your jackets and things and you have to put sun cream on, otherwise you'll get burnt. Um, but I was very lucky. I had beautiful weather. And was it very busy? Not at all. Uh, so it was. I discovered I was pre-season. Apparently season begins April 1st for the Camino Anglis. I I did a mix of staying in the municipal hostels and staying, uh, sort of finding private accommodation for myself. So for the first three nights, I found private accommodation, which I loved because they're kind of bed and breakfasts. So you get to, you get to really meet and chat the people who run them. So in, uh, I think it was Ponte de Ume, I stayed above a restaurant and they were really friendly there. Um, I, I, I just like that experience a bit more than hostels. But I did stay in the hostel on the fourth night and I met four other pilgrims, four or five, possibly five. But it was one group together and then again another solo pilgrim. So barely anyone. Did you do it easily? You mentioned earlier that it's, it has its difficulties, uh, that it can be a bit up and down. Did you do, do it easily? I did, I did do it easily. I developed a knee pain um, on the fourth day. thought, mm, that's weird. It'll go. And obviously it hasn't gone. But it, it certainly didn't um, inhibit the rest of my walk. I was still able to carry on. I just walked slightly slowly. Uh, I think the inclines are, um, they are tiring. So if you aren't somebody who regularly might go to the gym or regularly does these kind of walks, it is, re- it is really tiring. And I can imagine that if you walk slowly, like I said, you meet that 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock sun, which is only going to make you feel even more tired. Mm. So um, when I was chatting to a local, they said, I was saying that perhaps the next Camino, if I do it, if my knees are okay, I would do the Camino Portugues, because again, it's it's a part of, the Iberian Peninsula that I've never seen before. I've been keen to do it. And the guy said to me, oh, yeah, es más suave. And that means it's smoother. It's smoother than the Inglés. So the Inglés is well known for its up and downy bits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I want to come back to that, but I just want to touch on this. You wrote a piece for The Local in 2016, and you said the Ooh. Camino was once one of the most important pilgrimages in the Middle Ages, you said nowadays the pilgrimage is by no means limited to the fervently religious, and hundreds of thousands of travellers and hikers seek out the route to have their own kind of spiritual experience away from the excesses of modern life. Are you fervently religious, Sophia? I'm, I'm not fervently religious. I was raised a Catholic, so uh, culturally it's part of part of the fabric of how I've been raised. Yeah. But I, I'm religious now. And for me, I, at university, I studied, as part of my Spanish studies, I studied Catholic art. So um, for me, it was 
it's so cool when I find these little churches uh, on on the path and I get to go in, if they're open, obviously, many of them are not open, but you get to go in and I get to look at the art. That's the greatest pleasure I could have on a holiday. So for, for me, religion is much more... I don't know that my interest in it is academic. Yeah. But, but you wrote about, you, you mentioned the spiritual experience away from the excesses of modern life. Were you able to experience some of that? And, I, and the reason I ask you is because we're surrounded by technology every day. It's impossible to ex- escape it. Were you able to sort of, at least for that little time on the Camino, step back from all of that? I'm not really sure. I'm I'm an only child, so being totally by myself somewhere is not alien to me. Mm. I've, and um, even in my current job as a journalist, I, I I often work independently. There there are lots of parts of my life that are already solitary. So when I went on this Camino, I, I still found myself WhatsApping people back home. Mostly what's happened to my mum to uh, reassure her that I was safe because my mum was terrified that something would happen to me. Um, and I recorded the entire Camino on Instagram because I love Instagram. So I wouldn't say I spent too much time away from technology because it's it's just part, it's part of the way I live my life every day. Yeah. However... I, I certainly got an appreciation of nature that I, I don't get in my daily life. Walking through eucalyptus forest, all these little, I, I never found out the name of them, but there are these little yellow flowers that line your path in this communal for a significant way. Then they're like little trumpets, and as the sun falls on them, they open up. I don't know what they're called, but they were so lovely and so charming. So I got, I, I got, I got a little bit of a break, but... I think at the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about future stories I can tell uh, because I'm a journalist. Yeah. So my brain always my prank, my brain is always whirring in that way. Yeah, I'm going to get to that because that's a very interesting aspect of what you do. Um, I, I have actually a couple of questions about disconnecting, but you, if you were Instagramming the whole trip, you clearly weren't disconnected, <laughs> right? But 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 that's a but that's an interesting story in itself. Because well, firstly, let me ask: Did you have connection along the Camino Inglés? Were you able to have connection? I mean, did it drop out? Did you have internet everywhere you went? Ah, um, do you know what? I think I largely did. Obviously, as a Brit, I have uh, I can access my data on my phone in sure. Spain. Yeah, yeah. In the same way, at home, so there's that. So I, I never had to worry about that. Largely, I did have internet access, even if it was three G rather than four G. Right. I did. I haven't. That's something I hadn't actually thought about before. But I'm now retrospectively quite impressed because it was. You are sometimes in the total back of beyond. Yeah. I, the reason I ask is because, well, I had about three or four questions about there, about disconnecting there, but <laughs> clearly you didn't. So I, I just wondered whether somebody's listening and they're thinking of walking. And one of the things everybody thinks about these days is, am I going to be able to 
to contact people if I need to? Am I going to be able to contact people if I need to in, a, in an emergency? And Sophia, so the next question is, did you feel safe walking alone? There's only one morning that I didn't feel safe, and that was when I deliberately, it was the day that they said would be the most difficult, and I think that is possibly Betanthos uh, Tusiero, is possibly that stage. And I left early thinking, oh, if this is the hardest day, it'll be the longest day, so I want to make sure that I do a lot of walking before the sun gets high. And when you leave Betanthos, I mean, it was just pitch black, and I was walking through a forest, and I was just thinking to myself, ah, this is the beginning of a crime drama. Um, but obviously nothing, nothing did happen to me. And I was <laughs> but you can't help let your, your mind get, your imagination get a bit carried away. And I also think that when you do meet pilgrims, and perhaps there are pilgrims that and you might not gel with so much or anything, I think it's perfectly polite especially because I had my knee it's perfectly polite for me to say sorry I need to walk at my own pace my knee is really playing up or just say oh if you don't mind I'd like to do this stage by myself I think um I think it's perfectly okay to to kind of make demands like that of other people some people do the communal because they really want to meet others so I think sometimes there's this um you know, it doesn't quite fit if you want to walk by yourself and someone else wants to have this magical connection with another pilgrim. I, th- I think there are moments like that that can be a bit difficult. But I have to say, I never once felt unsafe. Something else that I did, now that I'm thinking about disconnection and things, I never once put my headphones in for the entire communal. Right, I had so that, that. Yeah, that question was coming up. It. So go on. Yeah. yeah. So, because I think being safe, that's a large reason. They always, I I have grown up and I live in cities and they'll always say, don't wear headphones if you're crossing the road, for example, you need to have your your wits about you. Or if someone's coming up close behind you, you need to hear them, things like that. On the Camino, uh, you're missing out on half the fun if you're there in your own interior world. Because if you don't have your headphones on, when you pass a stranger, you can say good morning. You can hear them say good morning back. You can hear them say buen camino. And more often than not, everyone was so friendly, all of the locals. They would always ask me questions. They'd want to know where I walked from, what time I left. Everyone asked me, oh, you're walking alone? And I said, yes. They're like, oh, be careful. And then you discover that all these other people walk alone as well. You'd think that you were the only person these locals had ever seen walking alone. <laughs> but you realise everyone else does it. And, but yeah. it's that kind of care that locals have. They see a girl walking by themselves and they have to go up and say, are you okay? Um, which for me is quite lovely. <laughs> and um, yeah, you, you just, you can hear everything. I mean, I speak Spanish, so I'm lucky that I can take part in conversations like that. I'm not sure about, uh, the level of English of the locals that if you were only an English speaker, you'd be able to get much out of conversations like that. I had some hilarious conversations with Spanish grandmothers on my communal that I'll, I'll always cherish. Let's talk some nuts and bolts. There are people listening interested in walking the Inglés, I'm sure. 
You just mentioned briefly in, in when we at the very at the very start of the interview about how you got to Okorunyu or how you got from the UK. Can you just take us through that again, please? Yep. So um, I went to London and I got a flight to Okorunyu, and I stayed. It was a late flight, so I went straight from the flight to a hostel uh, to just collapse into my bed and fall asleep. And I woke up quite early in the morning in order to catch a bus to Ferrol. So I got, I remember my bus was something like 8.15 or 8.30. Yeah. And where, where, where did you fly from in the UK? Where did I fly from? What airport? I flew from Heathrow. I flew from Heathrow. Okay, to Alcorunia. Yes. Okay. And then, yeah, so then I got this bus to Ferrol. And there are a couple of buses you can take. One is a one is a long one, and one is a short one. So try and try and work out which is the short one. They both run at I think at least once every hour, perhaps more often. So I got that, and so by nine something I was in Perol, and you have to walk from the coach station to the starting point. So when you do that. By the time I did that, I'd already done half an hour's walking in Acorunia. I'd already done that walking in Ferrol. So by the time I actually started the pilgrimage, I'd already done a decent bit of walking that day. Hmm. And, and yeah. so how, the starting point was a really nice little, uh, what to call it? In Spanish, they call it mojón. It's the, you know, the thing that has the shell on it that you find on the ground. Why can't I think of what it's called in English? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the signpost. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the signposts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing. Yeah, the signposts. So there's there's a main one in Ferrol which signifies the beginning right. of your walk. The way marker. So, uh, yeah, the way marker. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. there's a way marker. And so I ha- you have to walk there and then you start it. So you find that if you've really gotten the coach, you're walking back on yourself slightly. And then, and then it begins. How far did you walk each day? I, my shortest days were about 16 kilometres and my longest day, I think, was 25. And how how long does it take you to walk 25 kilometres on the Inglés? How fast do you walk? It took about... I did take breaks. I had. I also had... Um, I always made sure I had water and some fruit on me um what are really good for these things i think is a little cartons of juice because they weigh nothing and they give you the feeling that you're getting a bit more energy than you would get out of water but you're still getting hydrated um so taking all those breaks in mind i think from start to finish yeah we call them uh, we call those little we call those little drinks poppers in australia okay i think the longest day that would take me about seven hours was it well signposted? It was well signposted. I also walked with the famous, uh, is it the John Briley uh, guidebook? I also walked with that. So I, um, I, I, I had this combination of way markers and that book. And there were only two instances in which I got lost. So... I think I did pretty well. But how, how, there, there, some, there are some moments where you think you haven't seen a way marker for a while and you start thinking, uh-oh. And then, and then one will pop up and you're like, oh, thank 
Good for that. <laughs> Were there plenty of albergues? I know you mentioned that you stayed in hotels, hostels, uh, and sort of varied places, but were there plenty of oppor- sort of opportunities, plenty of varied places where you could stay if you wanted to? There were. The only instance in which um, the only place you can stay is the municipal albergue is uh, a place called Bruma, and it's beautiful, and I really recommend it. The hostel was clean. It was actually my first ever hostel experience in my entire life. It was... Uh, it was delightful. It was really clean and lovely. And the place that you stay is was originally a medieval pilgrim's hospital. So you really get this feeling that you're staying somewhere with significant history relevant to the Camino. So um, that's the one place. It's Bruma is a little hamlet. So that's the one place where that's the only place you can stay. Otherwise, elsewhere, there's always a choice. And I can remember that in... Betanthos, currently the municipal albergue is only offering six places because it's having renovation work. So um, anyone who's going on the Camino Inglés anytime soon, planning to stay there, might find that they've already run out of beds if they only have six. But I, I know that they're trying to get them, get it renovated quickly for, as the season started now. Let's talk about that. Um, did you train before you left the UK? I mean, did you do much preparation of walking before you, you took off? So for my job, I, I mean, I don't walk that far every day, but I regularly have to spend a full day of walking, carrying about 12 kilograms of kit on my back because I'm a video journalist. So I thought I was trained enough. I also go to the gym three or four times a week. So I'm not going to the gym to walk necessarily, but I am going to the gym to do exercises that would be useful for a walker, for example, strengthening strengthening muscles that you need. So that's the kind of training that I did. What about on the Camino itself? You, you mentioned that you hurt your knee and there were some ups and downs, but did you ever think, oh, I don't know if I can finish this, I don't know if I'm going to be able to complete it? No, I didn't. But I think that's also because I am a very uh, determined person. There was no <laughs> way I would not finish it. <laughs> okay. So were you what I like to call a spreadsheet pilgrim? Did you have a pre-packed itinerary? Did you think, okay, day one, I'm going to stay here, day two, day three, day four? Or did you just go with the flow? I did. I did pre-book. Mostly because it was my first Camino and I didn't realise I knew I was slightly pre-season, but I didn't realise I'd be totally by myself. So had had I known about the amount of people doing it, I might have been a bit more slack about booking in advance. But because I didn't know that, I just did. It just made it made it feel a bit easier for me to know that I ha- I definitely had a bed in the following. And it's so nice to think when you get this when you arrive in your destination to already know where you can go and just dump your bag and chill out mm. is so nice. I think if I had to spend another hour trying to work out where I was going to get a bed, I was I would be too I was too exhausted by that point mentally. I just wanted to just wanted to chill. What about the food and wine? Tell us about your experience with the food and and culture on the Inglés. Oh, so the food is delicious. <laughs> uh 
I love I love Spanish food anyway, but I had not eaten some things which are Galician dishes, so I'd never been exposed to them before. One of them is called racho, and that's a kind of pork loin that they serve with chips. It's kind of just a greasy, meaty, chippy meal. That was excellent. I a greasy, a greasy, chippy, meaty meal. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> delicious. Um, you find tortilla a lot, and you, oh, which city was it? I think it was Betampos as well. There's a famous restaurant. It's called something, I think it's called Casilla, possibly. And they do a famous tortilla. So obviously, I had to go and try it. But th- there's a debate in Spain about how you make tortilla. There are several debates, actually. So there, are, there are people who argue it has to have onion in it. Others argue, no, you can't put an onion in it. And then others argue, it's got to be dry. And then others say, no, it's got to be what they call cool which is almost, I mean, it's kind of moist, juicy. And some people might eat an omelette like this and think, this isn't cooked properly because it looks like there's loads of raw yolk in it. But that's how, in lots of places in Galicia, they make their tor- tortilla. So if you're going expecting something quite dry and potato, you're not going to find it. You're going vi- to find something very runny, very eggy. Um, something that I'm afraid to say I absolutely did not like were mejones en escabeche. Mejones are mussels, mm. and then this word, escabeche, I'd never seen it before. And when I looked it up, it said marinated. So I thought, oh, that would be nice. But actually, these are mussels served cold oh. and pickled in vinegar. Yeah. So <laughs> when that arrived, it was really funny. I ate a bit, and obviously I was thinking, why are these cold and why are they pickled? So I Googled it to make sure that someone hadn't just sort of forgotten to put the plate in the microwave or something. I Googled it, and then I realized, oh, yeah, these are meant to be served cold. But they, they were not nice. And I am, a, I am an adventurous eater. So for me to not like something, it means they were nasty. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't like them. But certainly on the first couple of days of the Camino Inglés, you are walking on a coastal route. So the seafood is delicious. Um, Galicia is also the region where padron peppers come from. So it's good to try them. And what else? The wine, the wine was very nice. I, had a, I like a dry white. So uh, Galicia makes albariño wine, mm. which makes that. So I had a lot of that. Very nice. And yes. It's very, it's very cheap to eat well out there because of the menu del dia system. So you have your first plate, your second plate. In many cases, I had half a bottle of wine and a dessert all for nine or ten euros, which is crazy. There's also something called caldo gallego, which is a soup that they all make. And that's a, a frequent first plate, and that's got um, kind of has rural vegetables in it and white beans and sometimes pork but it's um when you eat it you really feel like you're being nourished so that was very nice as well how wonderful how wonderful now on the busier routes like the france says and the portuguese there are pilgrims everywhere in the town squares you don't have to look too hard to find i guess kindred spirits was it like that on the Inglés? Were the town squares full of pilgrims sort of lounging around? No, they really weren't. And like I said, I think certainly 
the people that were walking at my pace and stage of the Camino, I was one of five or six. Mm. So really the people I interacted with most on the Camino were local Spaniards. They weren't, um, they weren't other pilgrims. So the, 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 I didn't see any of this kind of pilgrims lounging around everywhere. If anything, when I came across tourists, um, the tourists were Spaniards from other bits of Spain. Yeah, right. How, yeah, that's interesting. Did, hey, did you carry a shell? I did. I found, so when I was walking, what day, possibly the second day of my walk, I walked past a farmhouse and outside this farmhouse hanging on the wall, there were all these shell necklaces and a little donation box. So I was really pleased because I hadn't known, I hadn't seen any being sold in shops or anything. And I'd been thinking to myself, oh, I'd really like to put a shell in my rucksack because then you really feel part of the club. Um, and then, yeah, I came across this wall with a donation box. So I donated some money and I took a shell. And, yeah, it is nice to walk with a shell. And obviously I still have it. It's a really nice memento to keep. Yeah, and that's my next question. Where is it now? Where is it now? It is on, it's on my bookcase in my parents' house. You're a BBC journalist, a visual journalist for the BBC World Service, and religion, arts and social media are your domain. Are you always on the lookout for stories? A hundred percent, yes, I am. Does it dominate somehow your day-to-day life? It does, because even when I'm having a chat uh, with friends who might tell me something cool and sciencey, which traditionally would be outside of my beat, I do always think, gosh, that's a good story. Sometimes I think, oh, I know someone who would be able to take that further. Sometimes I think, oh, did I do that? Um, yeah, I, I'm always thinking about. I'm always thinking about stories. Yes. What about on the Camino? Were you inspired by stories you heard or learned on the Camino Inglés? I certainly. Well, I have pitched. I'm yet to hear back, but I, I'm certainly fascinated by the history of the Camino Ingres and how Spain is reinvesting money into it because it knows how much of a draw the Camino is and the Camino Ingles is so largely one of the unknown ones. And I think if more people in the UK knew about the Camino Ingles uh, as, as a sort of holiday they could do, because I think some people are turned off by the length and the popularity of the Camino Frances. If you, found, if you could find out about this relatively uncharted pilgrimage route um, in the north of Spain where the food is quite cheap and you can have a lovely time walking through the Spanish countryside, I think, I think it's a very attractive holiday people simply don't quite know much about. Um, and the history is fascinating. And I think wherever you sit on the political spectrum, there are obvious parallels between Henry VIII parting from Europe when he parts from the Catholic Church and what the UK is going through right now with Brexit. And I think it's really important to look back at history and kind of rechart this ground that's been forgotten. And this quirky relationship between UK and Galicia is, is largely forgotten. I think it's really cool to bring, bring a relationship like that back. Gosh, this has been an outstanding interview. You're amazing, Sophia. I've really oh, thoroughly, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. I've, 
I mean, I'm just sitting here listening to you thinking, wow, what's an interesting thing? This is a 24-year-old from the UK. I mean, you've been, you've been, you're amazing. I I, I, I just want to ask you something, and perhaps it's a personal question, but what did you learn about yourself on the Camino? Oh, I haven't even thought about this myself. So what did I learn about myself? Um, my dad said to me that what I've learned on this is that being alone is never boring. And I guess that's some, that is something that in my uh, wiser, saner moments I know mm. about, but I think sometimes, especially because I do have quite a solitary life, um, when, when you think, oh, I'm on by myself today, I think I think the Camino does teach you that yeah, being alone is never boring. And then also meeting locals and being able to sort of go past a stranger, say good morning and have a little chat with them, have one of these short but beautiful little interactions with uh, local Galithians. I, I do sort of think, oh, I'm not sure I would have had the confidence to do that a few years ago. And I thought, oh, now that I can do them now, it, I feel like I've really grown up. If I could ask you for one word that, that summed up your Camino, what would it be? Life-affirming. Wonderful, wonderful. How do you describe the Camino to people who ask about it? I do have to say, I do say, I do call it a pilgrimage, and I explain that, because the first thing people ask me is, oh, are you religious? And it's like, it's a pilgrimage, but people do pilgrimages for hundreds of reasons. Mm. So um, it's it's not simply for religious reasons. Admit, I mean, I have this bizarre fascination with medieval churches and medieval Spain. So something like the Camino is perfect for me because it gives it just gives me an easy path to go into loads of them. Um, so when, and when I say that to people, I'm, I'm conscious that that's not necessarily how everyone likes to spend a holiday, but it is how I like to spend a holiday. So I just tell them it's my, your Camino can be anything, but my Camino was a cultural one and, uh, it was a cultural long walking holiday, but with this real sense of purpose and the destination, I mean, how many walking holidays end with such a destination as Santiago de Compostela? When you see that cathedral for the first time, it is mind-blowing. And perhaps because I hadn't seen a single pilgrim on the Camino Inglés, when you walk and you go into that square that's outside the cathedral, suddenly you see a sea of pilgrims because they've all collected there from all the different entrances to the city, from there respective uh, pilgrimages. So you're seeing people now from the Frances, from the Norte, from the Via de la Plata, from all of the Caminos. And it's this sudden moment of, oh, you're just this one tiny person in this huge kind of movement. And, yeah, that's a long-winded way of how I would describe it to someone. Did you get a Compostela in Santiago? I did get a Compostela, and I also... For three euros, you can get a document that says how far you walked, where you started it, and the dates. So I got that as well. So I've got the Compostela, which is in Latin, and is very cool. But then I have this other document that's in Spanish, and because it just says which Camino I did, 
which is nice because it means that if I do future Caminos, I can collect these documents and say, oh, that's one I did the Inglés, this is the Portuguese, yeah. things like that. Where is the Compostela now? The Compostela is next to my, it's on top of my piano and it's next to my uh, university uh, first year picture. I just, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. I, I want, I have one more question. When are you, sure. go, when are you going back? Uh, I need to figure out what's happened to my knees. Like they, <laughs> they've just become a total medical mystery. Um, hopefully they're just inflamed. But um, it, you know, obviously if it's worse, then I just have to think about what I'd do on the next walking holiday or Camino. I do think next time, um, I think the weight I carried was fine. I was I, I was doing the whole Camino thinking I'm going to really do something bad to my back. It didn't even occur to me I could do something bad to my knees, whereas my back is totally fine. But I think perhaps next time I'll buy some walking poles because the pilgrims that seem to know what they're doing all have walking poles. So I think if I did it again, I might take it a bit more easy and I'll use those walking poles. But hopefully what, for my next Camino... Or even perhaps, like I was saying to you about that BBC program about pilgrimage that happened last year, they've done it again. But this time they've done the, I'm not quite sure what it's called. You might know it's the one that goes to Rome, the Via Fran... Francigena. Yeah. Yeah, Francigena. Yeah, so this, this Easter they're doing a program on that. And I had a friend message me saying, this is cool, I'd do it with you. And it made me think, oh, you know what, next time, next time I do the Camino, I don't know about when I do it, but I'm thinking to myself, it would be really nice to do it with someone next time. So that's the main thing I'm thinking about my next walk. Well, how wonderful. It's been absolutely delightful talking to, to you. And thank you so much for your time. And I hope our paths cross one day, perhaps on the Camino. Same, Dan. On a, on a pilgrimage, yeah. It'll be awesome. But in the meantime, enjoy your journey in life and on the airwaves. We'll all be watching from around the world. Sophia. Oh, lovely. Yeah, buen Camino. Thank you. And also, if anyone wants to actually see the Camino Inglés, they can because it, I re- recorded it on my Instagram stories and it's there now for posterity. So if anyone is interested... Um, I'm on at Sophia S. Gala. At Sophia S. Gala. G-A-L-E-R. At Sophia S. Gala. G-A-L-E-R. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hey, thank you so much, Sophia. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. My guest this week, the British pilgrim Sophia Smith-Gayler. Nelson Mandela, the great South African statesman, said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Pilgrims, the world is ours for the taking. Our faith in ourselves and one another will fuel the journey. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way Somewhere along the way